Living a life of intention starts within. Dora and I are excited to help you find the path to co-mindfulness living through our co-mindfulness masterclass. Our seven co-mindfulness principles will take you on a remarkable path towards health and happiness. For more information and to sign up for the masterclass, visit comindfulnessproject.com. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Laura Cox Kaplan is the host of the popular She Said, She Said podcast, where she has talked to hundreds of inspiring women to showcase uniquely diverse voices, all of whom are making a big difference in the world. Laura's podcast offers positive, life-changing advice and lessons and tools you can implement in your own life. Laura brings more than 25 years of experience at the highest levels of business, politics, and public policy to the conversation that include PwC, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the U.S. Department of Treasury, and Capitol Hill. We enjoyed being guests on She Said, She Said last week, and we're so happy she's joined us. Welcome, Laura, to Health Gig. I am beyond honored to be on this podcast with two of my favorite people. You guys are amazing. I love the podcast. I love the guests that you have, present company excluded. (laughs) Included. Thrilled to be here. Well, we're so glad you had the time to come on and be with us. And we're sisters in the podcast world, and we care a lot about the same things. But we wanted to start just so our listeners can know a little bit about you and your life and where you grew up and your wonderful family and your husband, Joel, and your kids. Just a little bit about who you are and what you've done in your life. Well, thanks again for having me. I grew up in Rising Star, Texas, which is a small, very small farming and ranching community of about 800 people that's in central Texas. I now live just outside of Washington, D.C. in Chevy Chase, Maryland, but I got my opportunity to first come to Washington because my grandmother actually sent my resume in to our local congressman who was having a contest of sorts where he picked four local college students to become interns in D.C. I was selected for that program. I was really, really fortunate. The experience changed my life. I thought I was literally going to die if I didn't find a way to come back here and work. The whole idea of having an impact in public policy really, really resonated with me so deeply. So ultimately, when I finished college, I came back to Washington, went to work for that congressman. He's a great guy named Charlie Stenholm. He's not in office anymore, but fabulous person, was a wonderful staff. Spent about 10 years on the Hill. Then I was very privileged to have a chance to work in President Bush 43's administration. So Doro's brother, George W. Bush, where I met my husband, Joel, who was also working for the president at the time. And then from there, I went to PricewaterhouseCoopers as an executive level partner. During that period of time, we had two children, and that's sort of the story. (laughs) (laughs) So here you are as the host of this amazing podcast called She Said, She Said, which is a diverse array of women who are making a big difference in the world. So what motivated you to start your podcast? Well, it's a really interesting story. I had not been a big listener of podcasts at the time. In fact, this whole metamorphosis came in sort of a strange way. I 
like I said before, was working as an executive level partner at a professional services firm, PricewaterhouseCoopers. And it had been my dream job for about a decade. And it was kind of like I began to have these feelings like I was not where I was supposed to be. And maybe I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. And around this same time, a good friend of mine wrote what has become a very famous book, urging women to lean in to their careers. And she reached out to me and asked me to write my lean-in story, which was essentially reflecting on a time in which I had taken a real risk and it had paid off for me. As I sat down to write my story, I realized that the risks that I had been taking were much earlier in my career. And I had taken many big risks, but nothing in the last few years. And I thought, I'm really not growing and learning as much as I could be. And so it got my attention and ultimately resulted in a pretty significant career pivot. I did not leave to start a podcast, but I left to teach and to really work on personal development issues for young women. So I teach a university-level course at American University called Women, Leadership, Politics, and Power. And it's really a course about self-awareness. It's about the kinds of things that we sometimes unknowingly do to ourselves that can really hold us back. And that course and that curriculum ultimately grew into this podcast. And it's a lot of what we talk about in the context of my conversations with guests is about how they've encountered these kinds of obstacles and how they have plowed through them and what that looks like and what are their toolkits. It's really all about growth and learning and having these experiences and coming out on the other side better as a result. It's just fascinating that it seems like you're taking this time and you're really, you're pretty focused on it. This is your passion right now is to give women voices. Is that what your passion is? Is that what you want to accomplish now? For sure. It's giving women voices, but it's also, I think, illuminating challenges that so many of us, if not most of us, struggle with. We may not even realize that these are things that we oftentimes all do to ourselves, right? I don't want to overgeneralize because we can all think of examples in which this doesn't hold true. But nine times out of 10, I know women who are incredibly hard on themselves, who don't recognize the struggle for the growth that it provides and that it's all part of the journey that you're having. And when I think we understand those things on a deeper level, then we can feel more connected. And it just illuminates, I think, for most people. And I think the earlier in your life that you have a chance to be exposed to these ideas, the better. When I ran across Carol Dweck's work, I don't know if you guys know her. She's a professor at Stanford University, and she's done a lot of research and work over the course of her career on this idea of growth mindset. And it's essentially sort of two camps of people. You are a person who has a growth mindset in which you look at every experience that you have, good, bad, and otherwise, as an opportunity to learn and grow, versus the person with a fixed mindset who thinks that talents are innate and aren't malleable, if you will. And again, those are two extremes. It's never that extreme. But those are essentially the camps. And so when I really began to dig into her literature and thought about that from the standpoint of women's personal development and what we might be able to do a bit differently, it really got my attention. And that is, I think, a common thread that I hear 
in so many of the conversations that I have on She Said, She Said is really these women, what makes them extraordinary and what to me is so inspiring about their stories is the fact that they look at challenges, including the ones we've had over the last year. My goodness, everybody I've talked to has done some kind of big life pivot, right? In one way or another. And so looking at those challenges as an opportunity to learn and grow, as opposed to taking a much more negative view. And it's not that it's not hard. It's always hard, but it's a question of how you calibrate your brain and how much you practice this. Like you can turn yourself into somebody who's much more inclined toward growth and learning when you practice it constantly. Do you think you had a fixed mindset and then After your research, you have much more of a growth mindset or have you always been a growth mindset person? I think that's a really good question. And I have actually struggled with the answer to that. So I'm glad that you asked. My parents are very oriented toward looking at things from an optimistic standpoint. So there's something about the way that I was raised that really is oriented toward this notion of continuing to keep going, right? Put on a brave face and keep going. Don't let the little stuff get you down. I mean, those were mantras that I heard in my house. My mother is an eternal optimist, Mm. (laughs) sometimes an annoying optimist. No, not really. She'll listen to this and they'll hurt her feelings. I don't mean it that way. But I think having it presented to me in a way in which I might look at little day-to-day mishaps differently, right? Studying the literature actually got my attention to think about not just the big stuff that happens, but the little stuff that happens and how I would approach that or how I would help my children think about their own setbacks in their little journeys. My kids, as Doro knows, are young. Ben has just turned 13 and his sister, Lane Elizabeth, just turned 11. They're the perfect ages to really enforce some of these ideas about it's all about the journey. You're not talented as talented were. You have these gifts, and it's all a question of how hard you work to bring them to the surface and to bring your magic into the world. And so looking at times when they stumble or get a bad grade or do something naughty or whatever, looking at those opportunities where they can learn, I think has been really helpful. So that's a long-winded sort of non-answer to your question. (laughs) I think it's probably a little of both, right? I think it's so interesting to think about that. And I Tricia, you are definitely a growth mindset. I'm and a growth mindset. You are a growth mindset. And I, I would say, sadly, I might lean more into <laughs> mindset. But as a partnership, we do well because I've learned so much from you. But how much of that, and I apologize, but I'm going to fall right, right back into my host chair. <laughs> yeah. But I'm curious because you raised that. How much of your growth mindset or, Doro, your fixed mindset do you think was your socialization, the environment that you grew up in? And how much do you think it was just you? I'll answer first and then Trisha, you answer. (laughs) But we came from completely opposite families. So I grew up with four very strong brothers. And I also, as you know, Laura, had a mother who was... um, shall we say, formidable. (laughs) Of his nails. And I do, yes, (laughs) of course, we adore her. But the thing is, I do think for me, that almost made me a little more in the background. Now, thanks to Tricia, thanks to my brothers who are very supportive of me, 
you know, it's just different. And I hope I'm leaning more toward a growth mindset, but I think that's why. What about you, Tricia? Yeah, you know, it's such an interesting question, Laura, and such a thought-provoking question, you know? For me, for growth mindset, certainly started the way I was raised for sure. And having sisters is a big thing, a really big thing. We had a really strong father who probably would have liked to have five sons, (laughs) but but it kind of went this way, you know, but I think that's true. I think it's very true. But I also think that there's different times in your life that you are in a growth mindset and other times you're in a fixed mindset. So I think it's kind of an interesting, as you say, journey, you know, there's times that it kind of weaves its way, but, but my fallback is definitely growth mindset. And it definitely is seeing life as experiences and as our teacher. And I was also raised in California. So I think that there's a little bit more of that out there. <laughs> yeah. You said something that just provoked a thought to me. I, I'm an only child. So I was my father's sort of best son and daughter, you know, all combined into one. And I do think that his influence on me and not not treating me like a precious flower, but instead had kind of the opposite approach in encouraging me to be tougher than I might have been inclined to be otherwise. And I think that had something to do with that. There's something that's pretty unique I think about the relationship between fathers and daughters. And granted, not everybody is privileged and lucky enough to experience that. I was. And I think my dad's influence on telling me I could do things, even though I was a girl, right? You know, this was a long time ago. And this was, you know, not everybody was encouraging their daughters the same way that they were their sons. But there was never any difference in his mind as it related to me. And I think that had a big impact on both a growth mindset, but also just on confidence generally. You've had so many great guests on She Said, She Said. Who's been the most inspirational and why? So it's hard for me to pick favorites because there's always something in everybody's story that is unique and magical. And frankly, you know, what resonates most deeply with me may or may not resonate with every person who listens. Hopefully everybody who listens gets something out of it. But I was thinking back on so many of my past guests. We've been up for, it'll be three years in March. Dora, I was privileged to have you on very early (laughs) on in one of our first seasons. And we're going to have you back in a couple of weeks, which I'm really excited about with Tricia. But as I think about some of the stories that really resonated with me, Nancy Brinker, who started Susan G. Komen, who I know both of you know, who has an amazing personal story and just her energy and enthusiasm and passion for change and getting things done really resonated with me. Elaine Chow has been on, Margot Shaw, who started Flower Magazine in Birmingham, Alabama. It's a great episode and a great story. Mary Catherine Hamm, who's an opinion writer and journalist who lost her husband when she was pregnant with their second child and had a toddler at home, and he died tragically in a cycling accident. She wrote a piece for Atlantic Magazine last year during COVID about resilience. And her story is just so powerful. It's one that I could listen to over and over, and it sort of brings me to tears just thinking about it. It's incredible. One of the ones that I really think embodies so many of the different concepts that we've talked about already today, but also that oftentimes come up in She Said, She Said conversations, is one that I had with a woman named Brittany Underwood, who is the CEO of a jewelry company called Acola, based in Dallas, Texas. 
she, as a college girl about to graduate from college, went off on an adventure to Uganda. And when I say adventure, she left her friends to sort of pick a country and they were going to have an adventure. So they went, I think, allegedly to do some kind of mission work, but really it was to have a good time. She shows up in Uganda and is like, oh my goodness, what in the world have I gotten myself into? She cried, I think, the first week until a pastor kind of came to her and said, I want you to meet somebody. I think this person has the potential to really change your point of view. She meets this woman who's bringing orphans in from the street into her hut a dirt floor shack that she lived in. She had barely enough to feed herself and her family, but she had enough to share with these children who had nowhere to go. And she would unroll these mats every night for these 10 or 15 kids, as many as she could handle. Brittany was so changed by this story that she was motivated to build an orphanage. She did. There's a lot of publicity around it. When the cameras came in, you know, CNN came to cover it. And literally, as they were cutting the ribbon, she realized this is the wrong approach. And so she had to change that approach and completely pull the plug on this goal that she had spent years building to create something that had more of a social impact. It's a story with a happy ending. Ultimately, she builds a cola, which is a social impact business where women in Uganda make the beads and then the necklaces and jewelry and things are assembled in the United States by women, oftentimes coming out of high-risk situations. They assemble them so they have jobs, the women in Uganda have jobs, and it creates this really lovely self-sustaining cycle that wouldn't have existed with just an orphanage. But having the wherewithal and the courage to say, we're on the wrong path, despite the fact that all these people have given me money and invested, we're on the wrong path, we have to pivot. I mean, that takes tremendous courage. And she was in her early 20s when she did this. And so there's something about that story about pivot and confidence and recognizing when you're on the wrong path and having the strength to say, we have to stop making that pivot, getting help, asking for help, turning to mentors. There's just a number of different elements. Anyway, long, long long-winded answer to your question, but it was one of those that really continues to jump out at me as one that I think illustrates a lot of the things that I think are so important. Boy, they all sound really fascinating. But what you talk about with her and her ability to pivot seems to be that sort of the story of people that live successful lives. Can you expand on that? Like the importance of pivoting now, as you said, during this time, a lot of young mothers have to stop their careers and come home. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? And how do you think that women will kind of get their footing back in the work world? I think we have to be incredibly open to possibilities that we might not have considered otherwise. And I think that really goes to the heart of how I think about a growth mindset is allowing yourself to be open to things that you hadn't considered before. And it's so easy to fall into the trap of being so terrified and letting that fear overwhelm your ability to think clearly. But I think looking for opportunities that are around you, we are incredibly blessed, generally speaking, in this country with access to technology in a way that other places do not have. I mean, we as women have incredible opportunities in this country to create entrepreneurial enterprises. I've talked to so many entrepreneurs and businesswomen over the course, well, really over a number of years, but especially over the last three with the podcast, and those who have found ways of pivoting their business and potentially finding a customer base that in some respects may be even stronger than what they had before, that they wouldn't have been forced or encouraged to tap into if they hadn't had to. But they had to be open to the possibility first. And I think that notion to me is really inspiring. 
thinking about, you know, literally you throw out the business strategy and say, okay, let's start with a blank sheet of paper. And it takes a lot of courage and a lot of confidence. But I think there's so many examples of women who are doing that. And it's amazing. Trisha and I had to do that when yeah. COVID hit. Our first reaction was, well, okay, we're done. <laughs> and then we pivoted and we're doing all kinds of different things now, which is exciting. We have an all-woman business, which we constantly are telling each other <laughs> how proud we are of these amazing women that we work with. How do you think women can best support each other? I think don't discount the little things. I think anytime I see somebody who is taking a real risk and is willing to put herself out there in a way that you know probably makes her a little uncomfortable, when you see someone getting out of their comfort zone, say something, tell her, send her a note, comment on something she does on social media, give her some praise and a little reward because it's really hard to take those risks. And I think for women in particular, because we tend to be wired to want to make people happy and to please and all those sorts of things, again, I'm generalizing, so don't get upset with me, but it is something that we do tend to struggle with, I think, more than men. Knowing that means that it will really resonate with her and give her a lot of encouragement. I think don't discount the little things. Anytime you can reach out to somebody else who you know is starting something new and say, hey, how can I help you? I love that you're doing this. How can I help? And I suspect this is probably true for you guys. The number of people who have done that and continue to do that for me is incredible to me. And I am so moved and gratified by it. They're supporting what we're doing, but they're supporting me personally, and they're supporting the fact that I've taken a risk to try to do it. As I mentioned before, it was a really big and perhaps strange career pivot for me to leave a perfectly good job to do something with no certainty and no real structure that I was going to be building on my own. And the people who have said to me, oh my gosh, I love this. This is amazing. Thank you for doing this. I mean, oh my gosh, that means so much as I'm sure it does to you guys. I'm sure you get that all the time. It makes me think of my dad who, Trisha will remember this, who they called the master of the small gesture. It really is the small things that can make an enormous impact on someone. And so I love to hear you saying that. One of the things that I know you care a lot about is this idea that we don't always agree on things in life. You know, our worldviews, our politics, our families, our upbringings can be very, very different. But how can we overcome differences and promote healthy, strong relationships or friendships? There's never been a more important time to ask that question, right? I mean, we are at such a painful, painful point in our history. And so many people are struggling with this. Parties are struggling within parties. Families are struggling within families. Friends are struggling. I mean, it's really, really difficult. There are no super easy answers, but I would say a couple of things. One is... We have to learn to reach out to people who we know have a different point of view from us and try to build a relationship with them. It doesn't mean you have to agree. It doesn't mean you have to give up on your principles. But if you can connect on any level, even if it's your love of Cocker Spaniels or cheesecake or whatever, 
or your children, right? Find something that you agree upon because chances are it will grow from there. And the more that we can consciously and proactively work to build relationships with people who have a different point of view, the better. Not to mention the fact that it helps make us smarter. Right? You're smarter in your viewpoints. And when you think about what you believe about the world, understanding where someone else is coming from, it just enriches your overall point of view. And so I think that is something that is hard for people just because of the nature of the lives that we lead. We're incredibly busy. We have become, I think, very siloed across lots of different lines. And then the advent of other mechanisms like social media and maybe not being as disciplined about being respectful to each other on those platforms. I'm a big believer in the power of social media and the positivity that can come from that, but it requires individuals to look at it as a tool for positivity as opposed to something that is so divisive. And so, I mean, I'm a big user, as you guys know, I've got a good, strong Instagram following, and I love that engagement as a community. But I also feel a tremendous responsibility to be putting out messages and thoughts that I hope will maybe provide some comfort that can be thought-provoking, but not negative and not disrespectful to people. I just think we have a responsibility, each and every one of us, to live by that standard. That's what changes things. These platforms will exist to one degree or another forevermore, I believe. How they impact a society will depend on the people in the society and how they use them. That's a good speech. That's a great speech. You're right. It's just like we are here. Let's work it out. Let's just work together is really what you're saying, which is so true. And listen, learn to listen, but also learn to celebrate and, you know, celebrate not just your accomplishments, but others. And that's just so amazing. It just is a good way to live for sure. What advice do you have for future female leaders? I've got lots of advice. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Lots of advice. You know, I think first and foremost, self-awareness is really, really important. And I think what oftentimes surprises, especially young women, is really digging into what that means. Learn how to get feedback, good, bad, and constructive, right? And really listen to that. Understand that you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. You are amazing, but you can always look at opportunities for improvement ways in which you can look at things that you do automatically and how can you make those a strength versus a weakness perhaps. So self-awareness is a big one. Another big piece of advice goes back to what we were just talking about in terms of reaching out to those who have a different point of view. I would strongly encourage young women, and I do, to build relationships and to reach out and establish relationships with mentors who are a diverse group of people. Pick people who don't think like you do. Pick people who don't look like you do. Pick people who come from a different place than you come from. And the reason why is because it gives you a much broader perspective on yourself and on your growth and on the challenges that you may be facing. And it enables you to build allies with people who have this different point of view. It makes you smarter. It makes you more thoughtful. It makes you more well-rounded. I think those are two really important pieces of advice. The third thing I would say 
is get clear on your why. Any project or initiative that you want to undertake and you're passionate about, get clarity on why that matters and what impact you hope to have in the world. Because when things go haywire, and they will, if you can go back to that idea of why I'm doing it in the first place, it just helps you, I think, regain your centering, remind you of why it matters or for whom it may matter, right? Are you serving something that potentially is bigger than yourself, right? What is that? What's the answer to that question? And continue to go back to that. Write it down. Keep that handy so that you can reflect on that. I think those are three things that are really helpful in addition to the growth mindset stuff that we talked about before. But there are three pieces of advice that I like to remind young women of when I have the opportunity to coach and to teach. Where do you see yourself in 20 years. <laughs> you're, you're so young. I hope years. I'll still be alive. <laughs> Not you that young. <laughs> <laughs> what is it that you'd love to be doing as you're aging? That's a really good question. I am desperate to write a book that includes all of this great advice and perspective and putting that together. And so that's a shorter term goal, not a 20-year goal. I hope I can get that done in the next two or three or five years, even though it's a lot harder than I thought it would be. Um, Doro, I could use some tips. You've done It's hard to say I love the life that I am privileged to lead and the people that I am privileged to come in contact with and the opportunity that I have to challenge myself to learn. And I really feel like whatever this platform becomes in addition to the podcast has been a huge opportunity for personal growth for me. And I hope at the same time, others are getting comfort and inspiration and positivity from it, as well as hopefully tools that help them in their own lives. I'd love to still be engaged in this regard in some way. It's hard for me to know what that's likely to look like. But if I can have had an impact on even an individual's life, if one person I can change the way that they think about the world and look at it more positively or give them comfort at a time in which they need it, it will have been worth it. So true. Trisha and I often say that when we feel like, oh, you know, what's going on in our business? Well, if we've changed one person's life, We know that we've been a success. Speaking of health, because that's what we like to talk about, how do you take care of yourself, mind, body, and spirit? Well, it's a good question. And I have to say, I wasn't very good to myself over the course of the last year. And I'm embarrassed to admit that, but it's true. And now I'm back on track, hitting everything with a bang. For whatever reason, I doubled down on work and I was not devoting as much time as I needed to on a day-to-day basis to really staying fit and to not eating all the garbage that just came from wherever. And it was truly garbage. And I realized that it was making me feel terrible. And mentally, I wasn't as sharp as I needed to be as well. I mean, as we get older, you recognize those sins of consumption (laughs) catch up to you really, really much more quickly than when you're younger. And I could feel that. I wasn't feeling as good. I've always been somebody who's super focused on drinking lots of water, always super hydrated. And for whatever reason, I just stopped doing that. makes a huge difference. You know, it gained 30 pounds. I'm not so proud to admit it, but we're seven down now, so (laughs) we're getting it done. (laughs) I think staying focused on those things and recognizing that everything else really begins to fall apart 
when you're not disciplined about your health. But also, and perhaps most importantly, being compassionate with yourself during those periods of time when the bottom falls out. That was the piece for me that fell apart. Everything else pretty much held together. We were very fortunate. I felt like we could look at this COVID experience and being locked up together and look at what an incredible gift that was for me to be with my children and to be with my husband all under one roof, having every meal together. And that's amazing. At the same time, there's a healthy level of stress associated with that too. <laughs> Just things that it was hard to work. You know, someone's always coming in and out. <laughs> I'm in my third location recording in this house in our master bedroom in a corner. You know, it was really hard. And so something had to give. And unfortunately, it was the wrong thing that I gave up. But now we're back on track and I'm recognizing that little bites, a little bit of exercise, even if I can't be working out for 45 minutes or an hour, even if I can get 15 minutes or a quick walk or a couple of two or three quick walks and constantly drinking water and really paying attention to what I'm putting in my body, it just makes all the difference in the world. I feel so much better about it. It's so true. It's like someone said to me, the virus is like being in jail. You can either rot or get your degree. So <laughs> you were rotting there for a minute, but now you're working on your degree, which is good. Is there any wonderful takeaways or tips or anything you can share with our listeners that you've learned from your guests on She Said, She Said? I think everything that we've talked about are things that I haven't necessarily done as well. I have always been really hard on myself. And hearing these stories of women who share that challenge and then how they deal with it are things that I think that's been a real education for me is how they employ these tools and how I can and hopefully my listeners can. I think those are some of the big things that I have ultimately taken away and always remembering the power of things like continuously learning and approaching every challenge to the opportunity to learn and grow because you don't use those tools until you have to, right? When something that's awful happens or really challenging happens, those are when all those tools are tested. So it's important, I think, to practice those things. And that's what I'm trying to do and do a better job of really thinking about life from that standpoint, and also employing this wisdom with my children. I mean, they hear poor things. They hear a lot more about all of this in my conversations than they might like. At the same time, one of the most gratifying things about it is when I hear those messages parroted back to me, right? I got a really bad grade, but I'm going to do better next time. And here's what I could have done differently. And here's what, you know, I hear that process and that practice that we talk about, and I see it as it's played out for them. And that is, I find, pretty amazing. Thank you, Laura. It was great having you on Health Gig. Thank you so much, Laura. I really, really loved it. And I just, I love what you guys are doing. And I'm so honored to be here. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. To learn more on how to live a co-mindfulness life, visit comindfulnessproject.com.